Good. If you're new to Hope or reasonably new to Hope, um, then you may not realize that on the first Sunday of the new year, uh, we do something called the Google Sermon. And uh, the idea behind this is that over the course of the year, Google gather their statistics together, they compile them, and they put them into a short two-minute video that captures what have been some of the principal searches or things that um, people have been looking for over the past um, 12 months. Uh, the idea behind that is that it enables us to capture something of what we are collectively thinking um, as human beings, really. Um, I don't suppose there's ever been in the course of history the opportunity to gather together in such a global fashion the collective thoughts of every, you know, of, of, of well, everybody who goes on to Google, which, as we know, is, is a lot of, of people. And what we search for reveals something about who we are. And so in a moment, we're going to take a look at that particular video, um, and then possibly, you know, well, we're going to look to, to draw some things out of that and see uh, what we can learn from them. But here are a few of the, uh, the searches that came up uh, through the course of uh, 2019. I think from a global perspective, um, this is what was trending um, on, uh, on Google through the course of the year in terms of searches. India versus South Africa cricket. Bangladesh versus India, that's cricket as well, I guess, is it? And the iPhone 11, okay. In the news, Hurricane Dorian, Rugby World Cup. You know, people, movies, athletes. And so that gives you a bit of an idea as to what was trending over the course of 2019 from a global perspective. Bring it to home a little bit more. And this is what was trending in the UK uh, through the course of... Uh, the year. And on the how-to section there, um, how to floss dance, well if Lilia was here she'd be able to teach us how to floss dance because she can do that really well, um, how to pronounce psalm. Okay, so we've got uh, people searching in, in the psalms through the course of the year. How to watch the Champions League final, that's presumably without having to pay for it. <laughs> I guess if we went on that would be... Uh, that would... How to watch Game of Thrones. What is D-Day? What is Area 51? Finn's Law. So it gives you a little bit of a taste in terms of people. And so uh, that's some of the things that were trending on Google through the course of uh, 2019. But that said, uh, Google puts a compilation together, which is, like I say, a two-minute video that gives you a base of a taster, and out of it, usually uh, a theme is driven. And so uh, let's take a look at the video now and uh, see what theme was being driven through the course of last year. Rescue trampoline. The first to run a marathon in under two hours. We have seen what we thought was unseeable. A relay of dogs will leave blind runner Tom Panic across the finish line. Nicolas Mahut lost in the French Open, but then his seven-year-old son ran onto the cart to give his dad a big hug. Her and her sister have been heroes for many little girls out there. I 
Olympic man, amazing man. She's my hero. Exactly what I was thinking. When you are free to be you, it is the best feeling in the world. He's the Sully Sullenberger of pizza. My family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans. We know deep down what's right and what's needed. I'm gonna fight this. Who says I can't? Nobody! Here it comes. Never been done in competition. your heart, your courage and vision to fix, to heal, to empathize, to connect. Because living life for something bigger than yourself is a hero's journey. So in a time of uncertainty, people search for heroes, and that's the theme that Google has concentrated on in their 2019 review. What kind of superheroes are there? Well, there are unsung heroes, unlikely heroes, sheroes, super mums, super dads, superheroes that can fly, and not all heroes wear capes. And so in uncertain times, this is what Google is saying, People are looking for certainty, and people are looking for stability. People are looking for foundation. I don't suppose there's any question in our mind of the uncertainty of the times in which we live. It hardly needs unpacking, although we will unpack it a little bit. I think there is a sense of a feeling of uncertainty that moves across the globe at the moment. And so, into the context of that uncertainty, people are looking for certainty, and people look for certainty in heroes, people who stand out from the crowd, people who make a difference, people who others can gather to and feel a sense of camaraderie, stability, security around. And so, in a time of uncertainty, people search for heroes. And we live in a time of fundamental shift in the world. Again, I think this goes without too much unpacking, but here's the words of Tony Blair. The next decades are going to be transformational in geopolitical terms. Between now and 2030, the size of the Chinese economy will more than double, becoming the world's largest and overtaking the United States. Over the same period, India is projected to rise from the seventh biggest economic power to the third, followed by Japan. Increasingly, we in Europe will find ourselves as moderately-sized countries in a geopolitical picture dominated by a handful of giants. Actually, only the UK and Germany, and possibly France too, will remain in the top ten by 2030. In terms of population, the picture is even starker. By the end of the century, five of the top ten countries will be African, with the US the only Western country making the list of the top ten. Change is on the horizon. Yuval Noah Harari, when he was speaking to Russell Grant in his podcast, unpacked what he considered to be the three greatest risks facing humanity at this moment. 
He's an Israeli historian and professor in the Department of History at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And he said the greatest threats, existential threats to humanity currently are nuclear war, climate change, and technological disruption. I think we can understand where that's been driven from, and we can see why those three things would be highlighted in such a strong way by such a prolific author and proficient person who comments in this sphere and in this area. Maybe technological disruption is the only one that would need unpacking a little bit more. But if you've seen something of the advancement of AI and robotics, then you can appreciate the way in which technology is moving. Probably the greatest impact that technology will have, certainly upon um, classes of people, is the way in which it affects the job market. I don't know whether any of you have seen on the internet the um, Ocado um, factory or warehouse and the way that they pack their groceries now for delivery. It's all done by robotics based on a grid system that is coordinated by the same system that coordinates air, air traffic control. And so you've got these robots moving on this grid system, picking things up and dropping them thin to bags. There's not a person in sight. All done electronically all done by robotics. And the influence of that, we've just had the big new Amazon um, uh, warehouse that's opened at the top of our road here, haven't we? Um, if you were to go in there, um, they, they did a, a bit of a, an interview on Radio Nottingham when it opened, and he said, the thing that surprised me the most is the amount of automation that takes place in a factory like that. The world is changing. It's changing significantly. It's changing dramatically. And it's creating with it a huge sense of uncertainty. And so in times of uncertainty, what do people look for? They look for stability. And where do they look for that stability? Well, they look for that in people. They look for it in political movements. They look for it in philosophies. They look for it in all these sorts of places. For stability to happen, we must speak to the present by shaping the future. Inspiration is the ability to project the future with a sense of hope. So the question is, what is the source of inspiration and where does inspiration come from? That's what a hero does. In a small or large way, a hero creates hope. And hope can look very different according to the context in which that hero speaks or rises. For the unemployed person, it's the prospect of meaningful work. For the isolated, it's the prospect of a meaningful connection. For the homeless, it's the prospect of a permanent roof over your head. For the anxious, it's a framework that allows a person to breathe air in a safe space for a long enough time in order to begin the process of healing. The world is complex, it's difficult, it's broken. Fixing it takes time, and it takes you, and it takes me. Each of us playing our part, each of us finding the inspiration that we need to become the hero that we can be in the context and the environment in which we live. You see, I think it is an easy thing for us to cast responsibility over to another person. 
whether that's to do with politics, whether it's to do with education, whether it's to do with the environment, we can say, well, that's somebody else's problem. That's somebody else's responsibility to fix. But in terms of bringing stability into the world, in terms of bringing certainty into people's lives, we, I, have to ask myself the question, how can I step in and make a meaningful difference in the environment, the context in which I live? So what makes a hero? Well, I sent out a little text um, at the end of there last week and said, if anybody's got any ideas of who or what was a hero uh, to you in the course of last year, then send that in to me and we will, um, we'll talk about it this morning. Um, I had just a handful, okay? So this is the handful of responses that I got. Here's one from Jimmy. Hi, Stephen. One person who has left a lasting impression on me is Pastor Jim Wilkinson from Hollybush Christian Fellowship. After going to the church with David at Thirsk, I met Jim, who had built this church on a farm which has a cafe and a minor hall. He was so full of the Holy Spirit at his great age of 90 and still on fire for the Lord. I am acknowledging this pastor for the work he has achieved and still continuing to do, so he's my hero for 2019. Reese Kelly uh, responded and said, Charlotte Butram is a college friend, a Christian, and a great and big inspiration in my life. Kay Taylor said, for the last year, my hero is my daughter, Amanda. As you know, she is a very busy, uh, she is a very busy businesswoman, always working hard to achieve the best for herself and her pupils, so the audiences coming to see her shows really shows really enjoy what they see. But she is my hero for last year because whilst busy doing all this, she disciplined herself to lose 5.5 stones in weight with Slimming World. Wow. So, a picture of inspiration and people who make an impact on our lives. Um, the public figure that stood out by um, a few of us who commented on this was Greta Thunberg. We all, I'm sure, now know who Greta Thunberg is. That's her. It's a courageous thing to speak truth to power, but this young lady seems to have it in shed loads. As she looked to a prepared script when she was speaking to the United Nations, she said, this is all wrong, I shouldn't be up here. I shall be back in school and on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And yet you all talk about, what you all talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Now, anyone can get angry and shout, how dare you, I guess, but this seemed to be different. Only 12 months earlier, as a 15-year-old, she took a lone stand against climate change, one of the three major challenges of the next generation, according to the quote we made earlier. And now she's witnessed a mass movement of people across the globe with the same cry. Maybe here we are witnessing a seismic cultural shift in Thunberg, having seen one of the global leaders of tomorrow. The futurist Patrick Dixon tweeted in regard to her, an astonishingly passionate wake-up call to humankind with tremendous integrity and vulnerability. True leadership is not about position or power, but about moral 
authority. What a perceptive quote Dixon made as a foremost futurist and great um, cultural commentator. And so heroes come to us from all walks of life, from all different contexts and settings. On the next slide, we have a picture which takes a little bit of unpacking because you think, what on earth are we looking at here? Uh, But this is the first ever image of a black hole and was captured on the Google sermon that we viewed just a few minutes earlier. This is the first time that a black hole has actually been seen. Scientists for decades have believed that they existed by the way that they're able to measure these things, which is beyond my understanding. But this is the first time that they've ever been able to take a picture of it. And scientists worked as heroes collaboratively across the continents in order to get to this place and to this position. It's the first image of a black hole showing a ring of light around an object's event horizon. The announcement was made at a news conference across the globe. In Washington, D.C., Franz Cordova, director of the National Science Foundation, introduced a panel of scientists working on the Event Horizon Telescope project. She said that the team behind HT had informed and enhanced the understanding of black holes. We've been studying black holes for so long, it's easy to forget that none of us has actually seen one, she said. The mammoth task of the team undertook allowed us to create the first sharp image um, of an event horizon, the point of no return beyond which nothing can escape the black hole's gravitational pull, she said. Shepard Dolman, the EHT's director, said that black holes were the most mysterious objects in the universe and that until now, our best idea of what they look like came from simulations. Right before matter falls into a black hole, it becomes superheated, making it shine extremely bright. In falling, gas creates a ring of light and uh, there is a dark patch that prevents light from escaping. We worked for over a decade to link telescopes around the globe. The EHT gets the highest resolution possible from Earth. We are delighted to report we have seen what we thought was the unseeable. It is a remarkable achievement. We have visual evidence of a black hole. The image was already providing information we did not have, he said, but but far more exciting research is to come. We now have an entirely new way of studying general general relativity. This is just the beginning. Black holes are regions of space where where the gravitational field is so strong that nothing, not even light, can escape from it. Matter is dragged in and then squeezed into a tiny space. So you can understand why Google would pick up on such a significant piece of science constructed by a team of what we would say heroic scientists who've been working together across the decades to achieve the goal. Of course, when you look at things like that, I do appreciate that some people have difficulty in reconciling faith with science, and some people have difficulty in getting their head around the way in which science is projecting and speaking of things. There are, of course, many different perspectives and positions that you can take in understanding the scriptures in regard to these things. And if some of you struggle with um, early, early earth creationism or maybe even old earth creationism or intelligent design, 
And if some of you have not got a clue what on earth I've just spoke about, then take a breath for a moment. But if some of you are finding those um, approaches to scriptural interpretation unsatisfactory, and I can understand why you would, then it's good to know that the field of science and faith is developing significantly. And some of the prominent biblical teachers and theologians of our age have embraced a new understanding of biblical interpretation when it comes to things like evolution and science called biologos. I would recommend it to you that you do that search and look into that information if you are one of those people who is finding your faith knocked because... Uh, of, of, of these sorts of things and issues and questions around origins. I'd also heartily recommend to those of you who are either parents or grandparents and are helping your children or teenagers to grapple with issues of faith from a science perspective to look into something like BioLogos because it has a great reputation and some leading key thinkers behind moving that forward. That's just a side comment, but it's an interesting one nevertheless. So we see heroic developments taking place in all sorts of different contexts um, and places. Two people that I want to focus on just for a moment from the video itself comes from uh, the lady who spoke towards the end. Her name is Viola Davis. Viola Davis is an American actress. Uh, she grew up in real poverty. She cried out to God, her life started to change and she became a prominent actress. She was born in 1965. She's won an, um, having won an academy, um, an, can I get that word out? Academy Award and an Emmy Award and two Tony Awards. She's the first black actress or actor to achieve the triple crown of acting. Time magazine named her one of the most 100 influential people in the world, both in 2012 and in 2017. She broke out of childhood poverty to become the person that she is today. And in a notable speech, she said, use your heart, your courage, your vision to fix, to heal, to empathize, to connect, because living for something bigger than yourself is a hero's journey. It's interesting to know that Viola is herself a Christian. She attends a church in Beverly Hills, so she is a believer. And to my understanding, there are a couple of believers who have found their way into the Google search in 2019, and Viola is one of those individuals and one of those persons. And when you go back and search into YouTube and list the full entirety of her speech, you feel something of the passion and the inspiration that comes from this lady as she's speaking to a whole full of university students or graduates. Use your heart, your courage, your vision to fix, to heal, to empathize, to connect, because living for something bigger than yourself is a hero's journey. The second person that I want to concentrate on just for a moment is this guy called Rob Mendes. Now, Rob Mendes was born without arms or legs due to tetraamelia syndrome. Tetraamelia is a rare disorder whose primary characteristic is preventing embryos from developing limbs. 
For some, the lungs and other organs may also be under the underdeveloped, um, and they may have breathing difficulties. Many, are many who are born with this condition have so many congenital issues that they are stillborn or die shortly after they're born. The condition is caused by a mutation on the WNT3 gene. We know about all these things nowadays, don't we? Or certain people do anyway. This is the speech that Rob Mendes gave, which is four minutes long, but is quite inspirational. I'd like you to listen to it. Wow. I believe I'm here. Standing, sitting, in front of Boomer. I like to think Boomer has a soft spot for his Niners, or for my Niners. Sitting backstage with Dwayne Wade, never saw this coming. Shout out to U.S. Soccer Women's. Awesome. <laughs> All right, here we go. Thank you. It is an honor to be here tonight. I'd like to start by thanking my mother, Josie. I still remember going swimming with you, Mom, as you held me with one arm. I know you never wanted to make me feel left out of anything. So if there was a way for me to participate, you always found a way. Secondly, I'd like to thank my dad for being the best dad I can ever ask for. I still remember waiting for you to get home from work when we lived in Thayer Court like it was yesterday. And no matter how tired you were from a long day at work, you still took the time to play ball with me with my favorite plastic bat. Let's catch the Sharks game soon, Dad, just like old times. I love you, Dad. I'd also like to thank my grandma Mona, my grandpa Danny, my tia Cindy, my tia Tota for always being there for me, out of me, for me, no matter what. My whole family, my friends, Alex and Avid, and a big shout out to my caretaker, Mike. Thanks for being there for me. I love you, bro. Thanks also to Coach Cable and the whole Prospect Administration, students, and last but not least, my Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. I also want to thank the game of football. <laughs> I also want to thank the game of football for all of it's given me, for allowing me to be a part of a team. It's honestly been hard for me to fathom receiving this award to be recognized alongside heroes of mine like Coach Valvano, Stuart Scott, Jim Kelly, and so many others. But the reality is I am here. And if there's any message I want to give you guys tonight, it's to look at me and see how much passion I put into coaching and how far it's gotten me. When you dedicate yourself to something and open your mind to different possibilities and focus on what you can do instead of what you can't do, you really can go places in this world. Realizing I couldn't play football, but I could coach football. That was the way for me to never give up, from the words of Jimmy V. That was my way of focusing on what I can do. Let me tell you, best part of coaching for me is seeing someone's potential 
and making them realize what's possible. So for anyone out there not sure if they can do something, it could be in sports, it could be in your job, it can be in your life, whatever it is, I'm here to tell you that you can do it. You've gotta be passionate, you've gotta work at it, but it can happen, and I'm not done yet. I'm I made it this far, and who says I can't go further? That's my message tonight. Who says I can't? Nobody! Yeah! <laughs> there are some quite inspirational people in the world. Some real, true heroes who break through enormous odds to achieve their ambitions and their goals. And I think both in Viola and Rob Mendes, we have two great examples of that. There appears, to my mind, to be through three keys to heroism. The first is this, to learn how to live for a bigger cause. It was Martin Luther King who said, a person has not started to learn to live until they have risen above the narrow confines of their own existence to the broader concerns of the whole of humanity. We need to live for a bigger cause, and we need to unearth what that cause is, because that cause becomes the motivation behind our actions. You need to find a cause to live for if you want to make a difference in the world. The reason you need a cause is because a cause is determined by a value system. And a value system is critical if you are to break through the difficulties that you will encounter while you're trying to make that difference in the world. Because what's going to stop you giving up? What's going to say, oh, enough's enough, or that going's too hard, or this is too difficult, or I'll just live for myself? What's going to prevent you from doing that? It's having a value-based system in your life that will drive you forward in the face of difficulties and odds. That's what you need, a value system. Whether we've been an older person or a younger person here today, we've got teenagers sitting in the room, the whole of your life is ahead of you. The question you've got to ask yourself is what cause are you going to live for? Is it going to be simply to become self-absorbed in a consumeristic world that just becomes about collecting things around yourself or for yourself? Or are you going to give yourself to the world, the world that has given you life and breath? Are you going to give yourself back to that? What is the cause that you're going to live for? And where is that value system going to come from? You've got to find it from somewhere. Otherwise, this world will push you down. It'll crush you. It'll spit you out. You've got to find values from somewhere. These people have found their values in Christ. We found our values in Christ. We build our lives upon the centrality of the person of Jesus. You have to live for a bigger cause. The second thing is you need to learn how to see beyond your own needs. If your own needs are the only thing that you can see, then you will never be able to see beyond that. And the challenge that we have in the West is determining, well, what is real need? That's the biggest challenge that we face. Determining need 
And then moving on from that. Is the need this job or that house or this car or that relationship or whatever it might be? How do we determine need? You need to think carefully about that. Because once you have determined what your level of need is, and for different people it will be different things, I think I'm quite a needy person. (laughs) But you've got to be honest with yourself about that stuff. And you've got to determine what your need is, and then meet that need, and then look beyond that need. You've got to meet the need. However you determine it, you've got to meet the need. Otherwise you'll just be fooling yourself. Thinking I don't have needs when you do have needs and then you get into self-deception and that takes you nowhere. You've got to determine what the need is but determine what the level is and then move on from it. And the third thing is you've got to learn how to build resilience into your life. Heroism is for those who have the personal resolve to implement change. You've got to grow backbone. You've got to learn what foundations are all about. You've got to know what it means to commit yourself to something and then carry it through. We talk about the faithfulness of God, but let's talk about the faithfulness of us. The world needs faithful people, people who will step into it with a heart of servanthood to make a contribution and to make a difference. We look at the world, particularly the West, and it can be so self-serving. And somehow we've got to break through that if we're going to make a real difference. We need to learn how to build resilience. And resilience isn't built in just one big hoo-ha. Resilience is built by making good decisions upon good decisions, upon a bad decision, but then a good decision, and a good decision, and a good decision, and a good decision, and a bad decision, and a good decision, and a good decision, and a good decision. It's about building consistency into our lives in the way that we determine the direction that we're going in. Resilience is built through incremental steps. I want to finish this morning with the story of an unlikely hero. I've chosen this story to end with because... I think we can all identify with it. We can find our way into this story. We can see the heroes and we can see the cowards. This is the story or a story that Jesus told. Because on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test him. And teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. But the one who showed mercy was the last person the Jews were expecting Jesus to say. That's what makes the story so powerful and so subversive. The background to this particular story is that in 722 BC, Assyria conquered Israel and took most of its people into captivity. The invaders then brought in Gentile colonists to resettle the land. The foreigners brought with them their pagan gods, which the remaining Jews began to worship alongside the God of Israel, and they also started to intermarry with the newcomers who'd arrived. Meanwhile, the southern kingdom of Judah fell to Babylon in 600 BC. Its people too were carried off into captivity. But 70 years later, a remnant of about 43,000 was permitted to return and rebuild Jerusalem. The people who now inhabited the former northern kingdom, the Samaritans, vigorously opposed the repatriation and tried to undermine the attempt to reestablish the nation. For their part, the full-blooded monotheistic Jews detested the mixed marriages and the worship of the northern cousins. So the walls of bitterness started to be erected on both sides and nothing happened other than for them to harden for the next 550 years. As far as the Jews were concerned, these were a despised, unclean group of people were the Samaritans. So when you're a Jewish boy or a Jewish man or a Jewish girl or a Jewish woman listening to Jesus tell his story, they're not expecting that Jesus is going to highlight the Samaritan as the hero. He's the last person they're thinking of. They can't stand these people. It's like saying you can find goodness in ISIS. I mean, this is an abomination in their minds. And so Jesus just blows them away. Knocks them off the feet. The Jews despise their cousins, the neighbors to the north. And so the Samaritan makes for an unlikely hero, and that, of course, is Jesus' point. Not all heroes wear capes, which is a lesson for us all. In fact, maybe it's a lesson for our time. Where are the people who will cross over the cultural device to demonstrate what loving your neighbor means? What does heroism look like in 2020? From the parable of Jesus, heroism comes from the sidelines. It comes from the despised, from the rejected, from the ceremonially unclean, but whose hearts have been expanded with a love that compels them to care. We never find out who the battered man is the one that was robbed. He's without identity in the story. Like many of the broken people in our world, he's displaced, he's dejected, and he's exploited. He is lost. He's lost to the priest, and he's lost to the Levite. 
They simply cross over the other side to avoid the encounter. The hero of the story is the man that the Jews despised. The Apostle Paul would write sometime later, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Sober judgment is what brings us to the story to see what character we will play. Hero or villain? The person who engages or the person who walks by? Do we want to be the priest? Going about his official religious duties? Or the Levite born of that particularly important tribe and therefore carries the prestige that goes along with that. Do we want to be the priest or the Levite? Or are we happy to step into the Samaritan's shoes in the story? And say, I am the one who is prepared to have their life disrupted. I am the one who is prepared, although I was going somewhere, to stop where I'm going in order to get off and to show love to this neighbor of mine who I've never met before. I don't know his name. I'm unsure of his identity, but he is a human being in need, and I'm going to step down and meet his need. If we want to be like Jesus, then we must become like the Samaritan. We must put aside our religious pomp and ceremony. That superiority that comes from living in the faith for however many years. And we must clothe ourselves with a level of humility that says God takes the weak things of this world, the despised things, and the things that are nothing, said the Apostle Paul, to do the outstanding things that make a real difference. You see, the heroes of Christ are very different to the heroes of the world The heroes of Jesus, the ones that follow after him, are they who say, I will take up my cross and follow after you. To see what side of the road we will walk, to see just what it will take to get us to stop. To change to allow the true hero inside each of us to rise up and in the words of Viola Davis, to use your heart, use your courage, use your vision to fix to heal, to empathize, to connect, because, have it, because living life for something bigger than yourself is a hero's journey. And it's one we all do well to observe. Trust me, friends, none more than me myself. What makes a real hero, a person that can make a difference in 2020, is the person who's prepared to cross on the other side of the road. And may God help us to make that decision and to live in that way so we can make a difference for the ultimate hero whose name is Jesus Christ. Let's stand together, should we?